for five at certainly like just asking like yeah four world teams what do you want track and field to be <laughs> hi i'm woody kincaid and welcome to the price of the mile hosted by kittyus magazine and today we'll be interviewing dan hewling Dan went professional in 2006 where he ran for Reebok, and now he has since moved on to running with Nike with the Bowerman Track Club in Portland. Podcast where we'll ask Dan about his childhood and his career in high school, of which he's very proud of. He always says he's a very blue-collar guy because his family was raised on powdered milk and he never made finals in Foot Locker. Despite having a, a relatively slow start for a professional runner, Dan has made a career out of being uh, one of the best steeplers in the world. He's a tier athlete. Uh, means he's ranked top 20 in the world and in 2015 he took fifth in the steeple at the world championships so we are fortunate to hear from a veteran in the sport dan having such a long career he has had deserves to have a little history written about him and hopefully you enjoy his personality is snarky sarcastic <laughs> i'm gonna say east coast personality but yeah enjoy healing and uh our little bit of banter back and forth So we're in Dan Hewling's basement. Lower level. Lower level. His lower level house. His baby's asleep. Toddler. His toddler's asleep upstairs. He's a big boy. How old is he? Two. So his child's two years old and he's asleep upstairs. And in the meantime, we're going to record this and document your life for basically Miller in the future. Mm, So yeah, Miller's going to listen to this in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. No, like maybe like six years. Nah. (laughs) Probably won't care that much in six years, but 20 years, maybe. Yeah, maybe SoundCloud won't be around then, so he'll have trouble. It's going to be on iTunes. Oh, look at you. <laughs> yeah. Look at I've you. Already, I've already got it on iTunes. Man, maybe I should look at my phone and see if I can pull it up on Pocket Cast. No, you, you really can. But no, no, no. First, first we're going to ask about baby healing. All babies are the same. Yeah. Unless you had, like, did you have a hard childhood or is it? Yeah, pretty middle class in Rhode Island, I guess. Blue collar. Was it like, my dad works, my dad's a plumber or something? I mean, he started out as a janitor. He still works for the same company. He started out as a janitor in this company at 18, and now he he still works for the same company. Nothing tragic. No, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. Not enough tragic stuff has happened to me. (laughs) And the first grandparent I lost, I was like 28. Yeah. Jeez. Charm, charmed life. Very charmed. She did remind me of a couple things that I had forgotten about. Yeah. Pretty normal childhood. Baseball, soccer, wreck oh. stuff, you know. 
What, wait, what position did you play? Uh, baseball. I, I, was, I don't care about soccer. Well, if that's the case, I was... I feel like baseball tells more about someone. I, oh. I was a shortstop and a pitcher. And I played some left field. I had one of those bad birthdays where I had to go like up a year before all my peers. So I was like July. I either had to go super, super late or super, super early. And I think with baseball, I was always like going up before my peers. And I was smaller than most of my peers anyway i was in the big baseball diamond and i was like four foot ten you were one of the shorter kids in the class i was the smallest person that's weird i was too i was five two 86 pounds as a freshman in high school um my wife's five two like i was five one 90 yeah wow maybe it's something with runners something to prove so just to remind everybody dan is 33 years old right now so he's been running for, what, 20 years? No, uh, 20, it'd be 18 years. No, probably. probably more than that. I mean, I did um, the Junior Olympic stuff when I was like nine. You never told me about that. You ran in the Junior Olympics? Yeah, I went to nationals like once or twice. twice. You said you had a normal childhood and you left out that part? I mean, that's <laughs> it's not very impressive. I, but it's still something that's pretty different. You were around running your whole life. I went to Junior Olympic. The first year it was in Rhode Island, so that wasn't that different. Yeah. I just did that instead of like travel soccer. How yeah. well did you do at the Junior Olympics? I mean, not well. Like I don't know. I was like 200th or something. And then I went to Baton Rouge one of those years. So you've been running since you can all since you can remember. Yeah, yeah. Like I liked running. Running growing up was like in the fall. They had like the rec program. My next door neighbor got me into running. He was just like, hey, do you want to come to this running thing with me? I was like, sure. And it was, it was just like Tuesday, Thursday, like an hour practice. You just go run like a mile and a half and come home. This is like your, your friend next door, like your, your treehouse li- buddy. Literally my friend next door, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, just go. It was just kind of your get your activity in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like, I don't know, like we'd just be dropped off at this park and we'd just run around the trails for like 20, 30 minutes. You were how old? I don't know, like nine? I don't think I even remember that much from when I was nine. I I was Irish dancing. Yeah, that's that's super weird. <laughs> I loved Irish dancing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I liked running for a while. Yeah. I asked Sheeling if this was on the East Coast or in the Midwest. Right. So yeah. So what we didn't get into was I eventually moved from Rhode Island. Okay. To to okay. Illinois, right. and uh, in the middle of my sophomore year, going into that track season. Like, I know you've asked, you're always very confused about where I'm from because I'm a Boston fan. Yeah, your Wikipedia page says you're from Illinois. Right. So whoever wrote that Wikipedia page just assumes I'm from Illinois because that's where kind of I became a name, Mm. I guess, in running, which I quite like. After he moved to Illinois his sophomore year, he had still not seen success in cross country. I was like 75th in the state meet as a junior got really mad that I was that bad. And when I asked him why he hadn't been competitive yet, Dan gave me this story. I tried out for the tennis team and got cut, God. which is still, it's its a conspiracy. Why? <laughs> well, because you like... You should be cut. Well, no, no, no. So I wanted, I didn't even want to be varsity. I wanted to play JV tennis. So I just want to just make the JV team. <laughs> and I clearly was good enough to make the JV team. And I know my head track coach told the tennis coach, do not do let not. this kid play tennis. Yeah. You owe him a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. And Something. so I got cut, 
and then I there, there there wasn't that much longer left in the track season. I think I ran like county and conference and sectionals or something. And then where were you as a senior? Eleventh. Nice. Which is still not that good, but no, but just the fact that you were not very good. Well, like I was like twenty twenty third at the Foot Locker uh, Midwest region after being eleventh at state. So yeah, like I could always tell I was there if I put my mind to it. I guess. You were good, but you weren't going to be a professional runner. When you went to college, did you think you were going to be a professional runner? No. Uh, I, I didn't even know what professional running was until like I was at the Penn Relays as a freshman in uh, college. At University of, of Miami. No, Miami University. Miami University in Ohio, which yes. is one of actually the oldest schools in the country Yeah, that I didn't even know. Yeah, it's very old. It's an interesting place for for some like a steepler, especially to come out of. Well, I, I didn't start as a steepler. I was a five k guy. I quickly moved from the mile in high school to the five k in college, mm-hmm. and actually did the five k at NCs when I was a senior. So, how do you pick Miami University? It it was just a school that I liked the academics. It had a very good reputation in the Midwest, and the campus was beautiful, and the girls were like off the chart good. You weren't even thinking about the future when you picked a school. You're like, I like it here. I'm going here. Yeah, I was like, this looks like a great place to go to college. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really considered past school when I was looking at schools either. Yeah, like I, I like, didn't I like ask it any questions about the running program or training philosophy or anything like that. Uh, well, I mean, I definitely did that, but I... Yeah, I didn't do anything. I didn't care. I just liked the school. Like, I just wanted to go there for four years. Okay. Looked fun. Yeah, I think that's how 18-year-olds usually think. Like, oh, man, I'm going to go to... Well, like, apparently not. Well, yeah. I mean, I thought somewhere along that lines. I just... I I knew I was going to run. I thought I should... Like, I wouldn't do anything over again, per se, Mm -hmm. but I also, like, probably... Well, I probably would have run track as a junior. We're talking about junior in high school. Junior in high school. Okay. Well, we're trying to focus on, on college now. Cause, Cause, you had kind of a, I had a you were a late bloomer. You were a yeah, late yeah, bloomer. Yeah, yeah, and and so was I. I don't know what you got injured your sophomore year. Got injured as freshman, which I think a lot of freshmen do. Um, mm-hmm. I picked up first race, basically ran my PR through five k and an eight k on a really hilly course. Uh, I think I ran like twenty five oh five or something on our our home course, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, like this is pretty easy. I'm pretty good. Then I didn't run faster for the rest of the year, um, and then I was hurt by pre-nats. I had a stress reaction in my hip, yeah. and that yeah. So that just ended at my conference meet. I collapsed with 200 meters left because my legs just gave out because I was running so hard, and crawled to the line. I went from like fourth to like 25th or 27th. Actually, after that year, I found out that I grew like two and a half inches that fall. Yeah, you were you were pretty short before this. You I was like five ten or five eleven, and then, oh, yeah, yeah. I have a tall complex. Like I yeah. actually think less of you if you're <laughs> under six feet. Um, I'm five eleven. I had I was like five eleven in August. So you went through this part where you just grew like two inches in one year. You were injured your freshman year, which happens to a lot of people. It's a big adjustment. Mm-hmm. Sophomore year, you don't know why you're tired. And it turns out you're just a late bloomer. And then junior year, you should be ready to roll. Right. And I was, yeah. And then what? Yeah. Uh, I ran like 24 flat or 8K at Notre Dame, which is like a flat pancake 
course. Um, but like it was it was like a minute PR and went to pre nats that year and ran like twenty five flat. I was like, ah, oh, coach, I was just kind of like flat out there. Like I don't know, like weird. And then the next Monday got one hundred and two fever, mono, mm. uh, and that kind of killed that season. Which both freshman and junior years at this point now I am hurt or sick past the redshirt deadline. So those were kind of just wasted years. And then I made the NCAA meet as a uh, junior in track, did steeple, ran like 848 or 44 or something like that. And then was All-American as senior in cross, like 26th, was All-American all in the 5K. Did you ever feel, because I know I did it at Portland, like you were being a little bit left out of, of these big races because I know going to Miami and I went to Portland that... Uh, I never really got into the fast heat. I, I know even though I felt some of the guys on my team had earned it, they, they still didn't get it. Do you think that changed how you ran? A little bit, I guess. So, yeah. So when I was in school, I had run like 1352 indoors or something, and I wanted to run Mount Sac. He put me in at 1350. He means his college coach, Warren Mandrill. And he was like kind of beside himself. He was like, oh, I'm putting you in like two seconds faster than you've run. And... I think the mark to get into Mount Sac that year was like 1338 or something. It was it was ridiculous. Like, I remember being so mad. I got put in the second heat. No, I got put in the third heat, argued to get put in the second heat, and I wasn't in the first heat. And so I remember being mad about that. It's kind of a blur. I feel like I ran with somebody for like three or four laps, and then I just ran the rest of the race myself and ran like 1344, then watched the fast heat go like 1330 something. And I was like, oh, I really feel like I could have run like a school record, like maybe 1335 or something like that. But yeah, definitely going to a mid-major, I was definitely like chip on my shoulder. That, that was the hardest thing for me. I, I always felt like I could have ran faster had I been in a different heat. Right. That's how everyone feels. That's pretty normal. But I think there's yeah. some truth to that. Yeah, there, yeah, there's there's a little, I feel like sometimes when you run a race, you always obviously think you can run faster. I feel like I'm pretty honest with myself. You're a realist yeah. in almost everything. Yeah. If you think something's possibly like, yeah. Yeah, if, like like we were, we were talking on the, on the run the other day. I was like, I've never thought I could medal. Like I thought I could get like <laughs> <laughs> And you got fit. Whereas most people dream for medals, whether they're <laughs> pipe dreams or not, but like... That's kind of like where, like, yeah, I, I did have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, I guess. Yeah, I, I think you, you still should, even as a, as a pro. And personally, why well, I think you've lasted so long. Yeah. Because you still have something. That's a fair point. Um, so I think one of the biggest things about your story is you kind of didn't get in. You, I wouldn't say you kind of. You didn't get into these huge meets. And now you've been to the World Championships, the biggest stage, four times. Mm-hmm. Did it feel different running the fourth heat at Mount Sac or third heat at Mount Sac to second heat, second heat <laughs> at Mount Sac to the final? No. no, 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 yeah. Well, the first time I went to Worlds in '09, I was definitely like, that's probably the most nervous I've ever been because that you know, you know, like closed stadium, there's a glass roof. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I'm just like a nervous wreck, whether it's running the 3k at the uw preview this past january or like <laughs> world, like like you were nervous for that race? yeah oh I I, like oddly yeah well, you hadn't raced in a while right but yeah yeah i'm generally a pretty nervous guy 
I kind of approach most races the same. I mean, the only time I can really let down my guard is maybe at a road race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get I run my best when I'm nervous and like pretty sure that I can do well. But I have to be super nervous. Like, I yeah, that. I mean, I, I that think that. that's yeah. I don't think anybody is. If you're not nervous, then you're not ready to go. Yeah, because it's gonna hurt really bad. Like like CD and I have that problem. CD is his teammate, Chris Derrick. We're kind of <laughs> nervous about like not necessarily like an outcome. But like the pain level, uh-huh. so I'm always like, "Oh, am I gonna like have an like, like am I gonna feel really good today?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm generally nervous about like almost like how I'm gonna feel, not necessarily like how I'm gonna finish. If that makes sense. Okay, so after you had a pretty good start to your professional career, we were, were you third at USA's? Yeah, I, as a senior in college, I was third in the steeple. So you were you weren't USA's. quite professional then. No. What did you get hurt? The next March, yeah, so March of 07, I'd just come off beating Mo Farah in a cross-country race in December. I was looking to win Worlds in the steeple. And have you lost to Galen? I don't think I have, to be honest. Yeah. Pretty good. Two for two, maybe? <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Has, has racing gotten easier since you've gotten older? Because you're doing really well now. Um, No. No, I feel like they're all kind of the same. Some races are easy, some races are hard. I've got the process down, and one thing that stayed the same is I stand on the line, and this is like even college, and I look down in the moments before the gun go, oh, why am I doing this? This is going to hurt. I don't have to do this. And then the gun goes off, and I'm fine. But yeah, that's that's generally how I start a race, and that's kind of how I envision races for some reason. No, I, I think that's pretty common. I think I do the same thing. Just like, yeah. oh my God, what did I just sign up for? And then you go and it's like automatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And it's, it's definitely like, like there's like a tier of races, you know, there's your big diamond leagues and you're, you're nervous for those. And then you've got USA's, which is extremely nerve wracking. All right. Well, I mean, that brings up the fact that you've made quite a number of teams. Uh, how many teams have you made exactly? Yeah, four world teams. How many Olympic teams? Zero. Yeah, I knew that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Oh. Does, does that keep you up at night a little bit? Um. Well, I guess I can talk about each one. Uh, in 2008, I remember being like, oh, I just had surgery last year. I'm just coming around. It's four more years. That, that that was kind of my first time, like, oh, i got to wait four years now. But being like, oh, I'll be 20, I'll make it. And then, so just kind of being like, ah, oh, that stinks, like, oh, well. And then 12 was like, I have to do it. Yes. Not, this would be great to do. It's like, I have to do it. And, like, I wanted to win. And that was kind of before, I think, Evan was pretty good. Like Steepler Evan Jager. He had run 820 or whatever and fell at Oxy, but like I still felt like I could win. And I think that was before he ran 806, and I kind of like went into that race being like, I have to do what I can to win. And I just ran it, not relaxed. I've never really w- watched the race. I remember being all over the place kind of the first three laps, and then finally running into my training partner like after barrier like like he had a bad barrier and like ran into the back of him and it was just like i i gotta get out of here and then kind of did my you freaked out a little bit 
No, no, no. I didn't freak out. I was just like, all right, I got to put my move in. And felt okay and did my three lap out thing, which had worked two or three years in a row. And I was just like, I'll just drop a 64 and run another 64. And and (laughs) was still like getting tired. I was still in the lead with like 500 to go and Evan passed me. And I was like, okay, I'll just get on him, whatever. And then 400 to go was right there. And I think Evan and I had actually gapped Don and Kyle Alcorn by like a few steps. And I was just like, I got it. Then just the legs immediately fell off. I had put too many moves in, run too hard. And I remember Kyle telling me a few weeks later that summer when he took the lead, I was like, oh, here we go. Like, I've never been able to hang and always <laughs> have to drop back because I can't do it. And him being like, you, you just dropped it like a second and I knew that you were tired and I was like ah. oh I remember like coming down and like going face first in the track slamming my hands on the track <sighs> like you're, you're such a loser like you you didn't make this team you were as big a favorite to make this team as maybe anybody like you weren't even close and being like going through the whole stages of grief like and it was this it difference is one lap that's the toughest you had it with a lap yeah but obviously i didn't because i had already like gone probably with 600 to go i'd already like gone past where i needed to go yeah like i i just wasn't relaxed and uh like i remember like having like bad dreams like oh like that didn't happen being so mad and then just being like sad and bargaining and then finally i was just like let's move on like it took me months and months to kind of get over that to last the world championship the next year right yeah 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 made made that world championship top top three had a pretty good year 2014 uh had a really good year 2015 this is a funny story so in the middle of the 2015 at usa's in the middle of the race like three laps to go i remember being like oh i just i i don't have it today like like bear had come up on my shoulder and it it was about to pass me and i was just like well at least like i won't make this team but maybe like this will be the first world team i miss so that i can make the olympic team and it's coming around with like three laps to go i was like oh like oh well like it's fine and then i ended up coming within like a second of my pb that race shows you how crazy i think the fact that i thought i wasn't going to make it in the middle of the race but yeah so then like you finished fifth at worlds and like everyone's like oh you're 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 gonna make the team next year and i was like gosh i hope like i'm usually awful like and the whole time thinking like yeah like i am gonna do it this year i'll go in with a good head like i'll be fit i've been with jerry for a while and then kind of hurt my foot at oxy and the same foot same foot i had surgery on in 2007 and was just like, ah, uh, like I remember trying to do a workout with Andy a couple of days later and being like, ah, uh, like I, I could feel the two bones of my foot like rubbing together. And I was like, ah, oh, this isn't good. And then from there, like found out, like I tore it again. I, I, I knew it wasn't a good foot, but then just kind of like this, uh, like the whole year was difficult, actually. Like I was hurt in the fall. I was hurt in the winter, like. I probably only had like four good weeks of training all year (laughs) and somehow faked, faked an 818 at Oxy, which kind of like was maybe a bad thing because I was like, oh, like I still got it. Like that, that, that was awful. I don't think you can fake that. No, I faked it. No. 
You can't fake an 818. Yeah, yeah, you can. I guess if you have the the old strength, yeah. Yeah, it, it's doing it a number of times. Like, I felt awful the whole race, and just, I was like, oh, I know how to run under 60 for the last lap. And so I just ran under 60, and... Despite that great race, Dan was noticeably struggling all year. I can remember telling CD, hey, you posted another Instagram where I wasn't in there. Like, <laughs> you're letting everyone know that I'm not doing well. I, I was just hoping for the best. I felt, I felt horrible the last six weeks. Like, training was going bad. My foot kind of hurt. Like, well, no, no, my foot did hurt. Like, I was getting spikes made for me to try to, like, just get through it. Like, <laughs> the doctor at the at the uh, hospital where I got looked at was just going, so uh, where are you in your career? Oh, geez. Like, and then like, <laughs> like, at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And th- I think it was a combination of like poor training, my foot and just the stress, all of it leading into the trials. I finished that race and I didn't have it. After not making the Olympic team for the third time, I asked Dan, how he felt the day after the race well i was playing golf the next day with my family and like was totally not into it i was just i was playing awful because i was just thinking about how i just didn't make the team i had remembered in 2012 i kind of like went through all the stages of grief you know like step by step and this year like i wasn't mad i wasn't in denial but i went straight for bargaining and just had like just crazy (laughs) thoughts like all right, well, all right, wait, I didn't make it because I wasn't good enough. Maybe there's going to be like a terrorist attack or something. (laughs) I'm going to be spared. And then thinking about just like what an unbelievably selfish, weird thought that was, and then just kind of moving on. I've I've had that same thought. The the reason why it's funny is because I've had those same thoughts like, oh man, I didn't make it because... Yeah, because I wasn't. Yeah, like to. I was reading this book once on like the thoughts that humans have that like there's a there's a filter in your mind at what is like what you are going to. Uh, it's a good sports psychology thing. So if you are in a race and you have negative thoughts, oh, I feel tired. Right? There's a technique where you basically just say to yourself, "That's a ridiculous thought," and it can kind of go out of your mind. And the example is you're driving, obviously everyone's felt this, but like you're on the highway, there's a motorcycle next to you. I'm just going to swerve into this guy and knock him off. Intrusive thought. I think about knocking over motorcycles all the time. Yeah. The thought comes in, your brain goes, that's ridiculous. (laughs) And then it's out and you don't think about it. Right. Uh So like I had a lot of just weird thoughts like that where like these thoughts came in. I was like, that's stupid. There's going to be a terrorist attack. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, like literally the worst thing you can think of, like your friends dying in a terrorist attack. Like, like, I I feel like people are going to think I'm really sick for thinking that. Yeah. It's just how my mind was coping the next day, I guess. Mm -hmm. Now, Dan is 33 years old and he knows that he only gets so many chances at the Olympics. And that may have been his last one. So how has he thought of the race since? And I remember being like, oh, yeah, like, completely fine, you know, just bad luck or whatever. Like, I always told myself that, like, things weren't going to haunt me or whatever. And that, like, oh, I don't care. And I guess I, I always didn't like to identify myself as a runner. Like, the Olympic team 
it's oh it's just something like everyone else wanted me to make and then the end of the year this year i kind of like was thinking about it i was just like man i am kind of haunted by that like i kind of denied like i was like oh i'm fine and i am fine like i'm i'm completely fine with not making a <laughs> yeah, team i mean it really mentally was stable like it was degree. bad luck all of that i guess it's okay to like be haunted by it it's like i think about dustin johnson a couple years ago when he missed that putt at the U.S. Open. That's got to haunt you forever, right? Even though he, like, won later that year, those things still haunt you because the moments matter, I guess. Yeah, it's probably going to haunt me, and I'm going to be, like, whatever about it, like, pissed I didn't make an Olympic team. That when I say, oh, I ran for 10 years, and someone's going to go, oh, did you make an Olympic team? And I'll be like, nope. Yeah. And then certainly, like... Just asking, like, Dan, how can you make four world teams and no Olympic team? You're just pathetic. <laughs> this is crazy. And being like, oh, like, someone went 0 for 5 at USA's. You're the Bills. Uh, yeah. You're the 1988 to 1992 yeah, Bills. No, yeah, which, like, me and my friends joke about that all the time. It's the 1990 to 1993 Bills. About like surely they won one of them. Yeah, <laughs> like 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 we've joked so much about it that like sometimes I think the Bills won one. But yeah, it yeah it's I think it's probably gonna like suck thinking about it. Maybe four, like three years from now I make some team. I'm pretty sure I'm not, but it's okay to like be mad and like have it haunt you as long as like you're okay with like the fact that it it, it actually doesn't change anybody as a person like. I know a lot of Olympians, they don't, it's like, who cares? Well, that, that gets to the point of this whole podcast is uh, I wanted it to be a veteran perspective and me as a, as a rookie professional. Do you think if the U.S. cared about track more than every four years at the Olympics? Because we pretty much have that world championship, which is, it is the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, right. It's harder in the steeple. Yeah. And, <laughs> you got and four people canyons. don't um, see that. Do you think we were talking about on the, on the run that the sport is dying? You, you told me the sport was dying. Yeah. Was it different 11 years ago? Um, yeah. Like, when I graduated the year before, two years before, you could hear about all these contracts, these big contracts being made. Um, and there was a lot of excitement going pro coming out of college. Like, there were a lot of contracts available, a lot of... Uh, different companies. I think Adidas was still giving out a, a lot of contracts, whatever. But there was an excitement about coming out, like oh four, oh five, oh six, and there's a lot of money being thrown around, and a lot of companies getting into it. And then <laughs> I think there are a lot of bad contracts. And then we kind of lulled into this, like everyone's doing poorly. And then this shoe company pops up while this company was dying, and then. Like, it's, it kind of went up and down there for a while. Uh, Nike, obviously, being the main player in contracts. Like, if they're not there, like, no one's there. So um, Yeah, I mean, people like to say they, they have a problem with Nike, but at the end of the day, Nike's paying for the whole sport. Right. Like, it, like, <laughs> like as athlete stipends went up for USATF for being a tiered athlete, <laughs> if... <laughs> If you're getting some of that money and you're running for Reebok or Adidas or whoever, and you're getting tier money, it's from Nike. Like, yeah, it, it, 
Nike does have a commitment to the sport, but... It, I guess, do you think that it's, it can be saved? Is a sinking ship? I don't know. There's a lot of things that had, like, a heyday, and it's it, it's on to the new thing. I think it's just kind of like how the world works. Like, boxing was, like, huge for a while, and then now there's UFC. Like, mm-hmm. baseball was huge for a while, and the NFL wasn't very good. Now the NFL's good. Maybe track and fields will come around again. I think there's entertaining parts of track and field, but no one knows the athletes because so we're they're just... too busy watching other sports. Yeah. As long as you admit to yourself that you're a, a niche sport. So we don't really, we have an identity problem. We don't know who we are. As well, a like, sport. like, like, what do you want track and field to be? Do you want it on Saturday night at seven o'clock on ABC? Yeah. Why not? Bias though. So, but can 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 you like put the pieces together to where track and fields on at seven o'clock on ABC? I mean, they can do Saturday it for Usain. Night. Usain Bolt. They can that's, justify. That's him. ten seconds. The reason why we watch sports is to watch something that shouldn't happen. We focus on look how great this person is, mm-hmm. and we never focus on look how far this person's come. Yeah, basically the stories in track and field right now are Usain Bolt winning and then kind of almost this fake dialogue of like, oh, he's really coming, like he's getting fit at the last second. And then on the distant side, it's like, it's the Mo Show. Mo Farah is quite literally the only name globally that anybody cares about, despite them there being a lot of really good names. Yeah, and I honestly, I think you're one of those people where you came from a program that wasn't a Pac-12, wasn't set. You weren't supposed to be this the star that you grew into, and it took you years. Yeah, but I'm not a star. Out. You kind of are. I mean, you're you're on you're on the the team four times, the world championship team. Yeah, but nobody knows that. Like That's, maybe my immediate that is peers. amazing still. Do you know? Maybe my immediate peers, but like I feel like running has this very strange. This it's the weirdest thing. You almost cannot overcome if you were good in high school or not. Like, if you weren't good in high school, you have to do, like, incredibly amazing things in the right event to even be, like, a famous name. It's incredible. what If you were, like, the show in high school, you can drag that out. <laughs> you can drag that out for a six-year pro career. Uh-huh. You're right. It's crazy. That's That's a very strange thing, whereas, like, there are stars in other sports that went to Florida Gulf Coast and Alabama Southern and these weird... And, and, and nobody cares. In track and field, we still have this thing like, oh, it's a high school record holder. Yeah. Oh, wow. And like how we still glorify like a sub four mile. Oh, you got a problem with the mile. Yeah, yeah. I got a huge problem with the mile. Why do you have a problem with the most romanticized thing in our sport? Because it's not romantic anymore. Oh, how is it not romantic, so? Because breaking they four... Write, they write books about it. My podcast is called The Price of a Mile. Right, right. Breaking four in the mile isn't a big deal anymore. No one cares. But, like, we're trying to make people care about it. Like, high schoolers break four. So yeah. why, as professionals, or why, as, like, fans of professionals, do we care about professionals breaking four? Like, <laughs> just, just run a 1500. Um, it's, it's this strange thing. I, it's I, American, dude. It's, it's American exceptionalism right there. 
Right. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, like I had this like tweet last fall. I don't know. I made this connection between like Trump making America great again. We need to make the mile great. Like miles over. It's the world does a 1500. Let's do a 1500. Now, let's not say I don't. Oh, I should take a hate poll. the mile. Who in Bowerman Track Club voted for Donald Trump? None of the athletes. We'll never know. What do you want to romanticize? If we're not going to go with the most prolific race, possibly of all distance running in America. Oh, it's got to be the 100, I guess. I mean, distance running. Oh, distance running? The 3K. 5K is too boring to watch. 10K is obviously way too boring to watch. But everyone's Maybe the like, steeple. what's your mile time? Oh, what's your mile time? Yeah, yeah. People want to know. Yeah, People, I know. They want that's get back Strangely. to my point. They want to see something special. But like is that almost like I want other people to toot my horn for breaking four even though I know it's not that big a deal. Yeah, you're right. That shouldn't be applauded. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, a like lot of, a lot of things that Like we get... want the general public to praise us for breaking four while knowing deep down that like <laughs> running 358. And that's not to like if you don't break four, like you're not good because that's not true. But like, yeah, it's it's very strange how we in just the professional running circles or the the sport that we still talk about breaking four. Like, I I suppose this is coming from someone who's never broken four, so you're you just did it. About it. Dan just broke four as a 33 year old, so like you had never done it until this indoor season, and it's a fast track, I think. Well, no, I'd done it before. No, you hadn't. You did it on Dempsey. I don't count that. Well, yeah, but like again, like it's what I was it? Three fifty nine seven. I don't know. I ran like three fifty eight twice at Dempsey. Okay. All right, I'll count the the three fifty seven you ran this year. Thank you. Yeah, I almost wasn't ready to count three fifty eight at BU either because that track's not fair. Well, in addition to battling injury as he gets older, uh, Dan also has an infant and a wife that he likes to spend time with. Do you think Miller family has taken a toll at all on your racing? Because you've been racing super well, even with Miller in your little cradle. Yeah. I mean, we're watching Miller right now through your iPhone. Going to altitude is like a strain being away. But my wife makes huge sacrifices to watch him and take care of him, especially in 2015 when I was gone a lot at altitude and worlds and racing and stuff. She's kind of the kind of hero of at least letting me run because if she wasn't here obviously i wouldn't have been able to do that so and you've been with her since college yeah there have been years when you've been gone almost all year because we travel all the time you guys haven't endured 2013 when we were gone for like five weeks in colorado springs came home for three weeks went to mammoth for 10 weeks came home for a day went to wisconsin to prep for hot weather in Iowa, came back for a week or two, went to St. Moritz. There's no way you weeks. went to Wisconsin for hot weather. Jerry just wanted to go home. No. Oh, oh exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. Jerry. It was perfect. Our there. coach just wanted to go home. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. If you want hot, just go to Florida. And that's been fine then. Just so you just had a kid, you'll just get up in the middle of the night and you don't even think about it. You won't think about how it affects your running. Well, he doesn't really wake up in the middle of the night. Really? But in 2015, he did all the time. You made the team, so it can be done. Yeah, like Mo Farah has like four kids. Nick Willis has three. Like all, all sorts of professional athletes have kids. So. 
I feel like there's like this stigma that like, oh, I can't run well with kids, but I don't think that's That's true. (laughs) Did it change anything? Yeah. I mean, you can't like just run when you necessarily want to. Like I ran with him this morning at 8.30 in the morning. I didn't want to run at 8.30 in the morning, but but my wife wanted to go to yoga and I support that. And you ran with him in, in his stroller. I know. Yeah. I told my good friend I would never run in the stroller. <laughs> I've done it a bunch. Yeah. Surprisingly, not that bad. Yeah. What does Kelly say about all this? Has she just, like ever like been mad at you for like just being gone for a year? Yeah, she was mad in 2013 for sure. Jerry Jerry made a apology to her even. Which <laughs> is like That mean, doesn't happen. Right. It, it doesn't happen. So that was pretty difficult just being away that whole time and she had to navigate a new city herself. Um, you moved no, out here and then you were gone for a year. No, not for a year. Seven months. You work through what you can work through on stuff that's worth it. So So I asked him how long he really thinks he's going to keep doing this. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Until I feel like I can't make a world team. Because I'm not going to... I I've I've been very I've been very lucky that I've been able to make world teams and like be like at least on the cusp of like making the Olympic teams as well because I think I would have soured on seventh a lot. But granted, like if you're seventh, you're not doing seventh for ten years either. So I suppose there's that. But yeah, I'll 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 be done once I can stop making teams. And being a realist, I think I know exactly when that'll be. Um, all right. Well, I think that is going to conclude the podcast. I don't know if you heard on the last one, but Jagger said that you were pretty much Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Right. They said that you were. Yeah, I. I feel like that's on the team. I feel like that's like way too much credit (laughs) to be, dude. He's probably going to win Game of Thrones. Because I'm not like manipulative from like a. Little finger. Level. Like, <laughs> Who else would you be? Like I think it makes I sense. think people just like to call me little finger because <laughs> snarky. Yeah. But hopefully I don't have any of little finger's tricks <laughs> he's a troubled person. Alright, that will be our podcast for April. That was Dan Hewling. And next month we'll have one of the Bowerman girls on here. Thanks again for Sidious for hosting the podcast, and I appreciate the support that you guys sent through your emails. Keep sending them at KincaidWoody at gmail.com, or feel free to just reach out over social media. Again, this will be a monthly podcast, and check out Sidious Magazine for more episodes.